Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. It's up on a Friday. We appreciate you hanging out with us. My name is Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator here is Colin Brister. We appreciate you joining us wherever, whenever you might be joining us on a sunny Friday morning. Colin, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. We had some Sweet 16 action last night, so that was fun. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, we'll get into Sweet 16 action. We'll preview some Ole Miss has a really important series at Arkansas for, for a number of different reasons. Um, some spring football notes and whatever else may come up. But yeah, there's some Sweet 16 action last night. Some really good, some of it not so much, but um, there's at least one super entertaining game and one a couple that were kind of and then one that wasn't really at all. Um, yeah. That's a good way to label it. Yeah, so we'll get into that, some other things. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm not in Fayetteville this weekend. It's the first weekend in a while. I kind of got nothing to do, so that, that'll be nice. I'm pretty good at doing nothing. Um, hey, so have you moved out of your house yet? Yeah, so we, we're all good there. Move is situated, <laughs> um, and we are, we are all settled. So where do you want to start? I guess uh, we'll go. Your call. Um, I guess we can start with, with some sweet 16. That seems to be the most pressing, most pressing thing, or at least the most relevant thing. So four sweet 16 games last night. One of the two early games was a thriller. One was not Gonzaga kind of handled Florida state. Florida state made it pretty close and kind of gave him a little bit of scare, but you never felt like Gonzaga was in any real danger of winning the game. I mean, losing the game, excuse me. So yeah, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't think Florida State played that well. I thought if they played like a kind of an A-minus level game, they really could have given Gonzaga a run for their money. I didn't think Agreed. Florida State played particularly well. But, you know, kind of a work, I guess a work, I mean, it's so cliche, but like workmanlike effort for Gonzaga. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like Gonzaga played that well either. But, you know, Gonzaga is just better than Florida State. So when they both play their C games, Gonzaga's going to win. Um but I think Gonzaga, and, and I told you this last night, I think when Gonzaga is right, I don't think there's anybody in the country that can beat them. Um, and and if Florida State, you know, plays the way they did last night, they certainly weren't going to have a chance. So that's kind of what happened. Gonzaga didn't play as pro- probably as well as they could have, but Florida State didn't make shots. And when you don't make shots against Gonzaga, you don't really have a prayer. Yeah, and then it was tough for Florida State because I believe they didn't have Phil Kofer because after the death of his father, I right. believe he did not play in this game, which I don't know how much of an impact that makes. Certainly makes somewhat of an impact, but that's tough situation there. Um, but Gonzaga has a double-digit lead at halftime. Florida State, what, shaves it to as close as four at four, one point yeah. in the second half? So it got to 60-56, and then Florida State only scored two points over the final, like, three and a half minutes. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. Other than Duke, I think when Gonzaga's at their best, I'm not sure there's anyone that can really hang with them. I mean, the only other, the only thing that I could like scenario I could dr- dream up is if kind of North Carolina's clicking and all all cylinders when they get out and transition and play fast, they're super dangerous. Or if Auburn kind of does what it does to Kansas, because there's really not a whole lot you can control when you have a team making three point shots at that rate, just at kind of an out of control rate. So really, other than that, I, I would agree. So Gonzaga, kind of the first team on the first team to move on to the Elite Eight. I don't. Who did they play? Did they Texas Tech? 
That's right. So Gonzaga, Texas Tech. I don't like Texas Tech in that matchup at all. I think Gonzaga will head to the Final Four with relative ease. Texas Tech defends the hell out of you. They're not. I mean, they're they're athletic enough, but they don't score very well. They're kind of those are two options. I guess we'll move. That's a good segue into to yeah. another game. Texas Tech, Michigan was a very you want to very game? college basketball esque game. 63-44 Tech moves on. It was twenty four sixteen at halftime. It was. Two of the best coaches in the country and John Beeline and Chris Beard. And part of the reason they are that they have that title is because of the way their teams defend. But they had two offensively challenged teams this year, Michigan in particular. Texas Tech's had times where they've scored points. But really two teams that, that have struggled to score the basketball this year. And it made for a I would rock call fight? It an interesting game. Yeah, it was rock fight's a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, it was just – it was hard to watch. I'll admit, I like college basketball, and it was really hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, Michigan, God bless them, they had no – once that thing got to eight, I didn't know how Michigan was going to have a prayer to come back because well, – it, it felt like 20. Te- Do I? Eight felt like 20. Yeah, and then 20 felt like 60. <laughs> so um, – and, and Michigan was down 20 at some point during that game. So it was just – yeah, like you said, it was two elite defenses, and, and Texas Tech has shown that they can put the ball in the hole a little bit better than the Michigan has. That was the thing about Michigan all year is they didn't they, they didn't really score on anybody all year long. So, um, yeah, it just Texas Tech was just a little bit more athletic, and uh, and that's why they'll play Gonzaga on Saturday. And that was the difference in that Michigan team in terms of flaws between the couple ones that have gotten to the national title game in the last half decade is, you know, Belon, they, they are always going to defend really well. And they've been a good to confident offensive team in the past, but this team really just struggled. They don't have like, they don't have a Mo Wagner to Wagner, kind of create yeah. shots or an elite. I mean, they got a couple of good guards. Like Jordan Poole is good and can kind of create his own shot a little bit and somebody else, but there's, there's no one at, at, at that level that they've had in, in the past. So, yeah, that game was probably the worst of the evening. Uh, the second sure. early game, Purdue-Tennessee, was was fantastic. That was probably buried the lead a little bit there. Tennessee, so Purdue jumps out to a lead that got as high as, what, like 16? It looked like Eight, they were They were coasting. up 18 at one point. Wow. So they were, they were coasting. And then Tennessee comes all the way back. Tennessee takes a lead for, like, the last five and a half minutes of that game. Yeah. Explain to me how you can blow an 18-point lead in a Sweet 16 game. I, I just don't – man, it feels like if you just sit on the ball for a little while, you could roll out of there okay. Well, you saw Tennessee try to do that against Iowa, in fairness, where they tried to sit on the ball every possession in the round of 32. And then, I don't know, part of it really is – like people say momentum's an overrated thing, but with the way – like how big the moment is with 18- and 19-year-old kids on that stage in that tournament – it's a real thing, and it's the only thing to explain because you watch the way Purdue was running offense in the first half, and it helped that Carson Edwards w- was making jump shots, and that kid, that Klein kid, was unconscious. Yeah. That was that that was one of that's might be the best tournament performance I've seen this year. Probably actually not might be that was that that was probably better than Edwards' forty three point performance. That's what I was gonna say it's better than his teammate. Because he, well, he's, he's, that kid, one, you didn't expect it. And two, he was making contested fadeaway shots coming off double, yeah. like staggered screens without taking a dribble. I mean, that kid was murdering them without putting the ball on the floor. It was like Clay Thompson esque. 
Yeah, he hit a three to tie the game with like a minute 15 left with Grant Williams just draped on him. And Williams looked at him after he made the shot. I was like, what, the, what am I supposed to do? And it didn't even look athletic. He dribbled into him and then kind of goofily like dribbled it out in front of him like you'd see kind of a middle schooler and then just like pulled up. I mean, it was – it was. I mean, give the kid credit. It was impressive. But point being, you ask how a team can do that. I mean, it really is – that's the only way to explain to where you see Purdue perform like they did in the first half, not just like that kid going nuts and making shots, because that's really the only thing that got them through the second half, but the way they ran offense. And then when the team, you know, Tennessee starts to get a little momentum and starts defending a little better, and and then you just see teams come unraveled. And you saw Tennessee do it against Iowa. There was The way that game was going in the first half, there's no way Iowa should have crawled back from 25 down or whatever it was. It's just – it's hard to explain, but it's kind of what makes the tournament wild. Yeah, yeah, and you know, look, let's let's just talk about it. The foul call um, that essentially decided the game. I mean, I'm kind of shocked Edwards missed one of the free throws and it had to go to overtime. Um, you know, what were what were your kind of thoughts on that? I thought that Edwards stuck his leg out a little bit, but I thought that who was defending it was it. Wasn't Schofield, was it? No, I think it was Bone, maybe. So Bone, when he closed out, closed out way too out of control and went way too far into the shooter. Because Edwards did kind of twist his leg, and it was kind of a savvy move to initiate contact. But you can't close out so far into the shooter because you have to let him land. And if yeah. you look at it, to me, he didn't jump. Like a lot of times what they'll, they'll, they won't call that because the shooter jumped forward. To like try to you know eliminate the space between the closeout and where they started their shot. I didn't think that happened. I thought he just went straight up, and that kid got entirely too far into him on the closeout. So it's a tough call because it doesn't look like your prototypical jump shot foul call, and everyone's like, "How can you call that there?" But it's the correct call. You can't do that on a closeout. Yeah, I, I think I agree with with you in in terms that it was a foul, but I don't think you can. It can be. I think it's mutually exclusive to say. Or I don't think it's mutually exclusive to say. I don't think you should call that at that moment because it didn't affect the shot at all. And there's 1.5 left. I kind of just wish, you know, games were – because if, if he hits his wrist and the ball flies elsewhere because he hits his wrist, I get it. But that affected the shot none, right? Yeah. Um, no, it didn't affect the shot. But, like, part of the reason that rule is in place is what you saw from the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago where Kawhi goes up for the corner three and Zaza – doesn't yeah. let him land, gets into him, and he lands on his foot, and that series is over once Kawhi gets hurt. So that's kind of the reason that – not the sole reason, but that's one of the reasons that rules in place. It's a, it's, It really is kind of a safety thing because it is dangerous if you if you walk up under a kid as he's coming down. Sure. I, I get why the rule's there. I, I, I get that it needed to be called. So I don't have a problem with them calling that foul. It just kind of sucks that's the way it turned out. Yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, it's kind of like, and I might piss some people off here. It's kind of like uh, when the Saints got jobbed in the NFC title game, they still had like five minutes to play, or I mean, the, the game went to overtime in both situations, and in neither situation, Tennessee really showed up, and the Saints didn't really show up. So I mean, it, while the yes, I, I don't, I can't argue that the foul call really decided the game, or the pass interference really kind of decided the game. You still had opportunities to make plays, and, and Tennessee didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, Tennessee was not good on the first couple offensive trips in overtime at all. They were ter- both teams were not very good at the free throw line. Tennessee was atrocious at the free throw oh, line. Oh, so was Purdue. It kind of deserved its fate in in that regard. And so it goes to overtime. Edwards missed. So Edwards makes two of the three free throws. They're down two with two seconds left. It goes to overtime, obviously. 
and then it ended the way it did. So I wasn't necessarily upset. The right team probably won the game in the sense of how they played overall, but you could definitely make the argument that Tennessee had that, not stripped from them, but like, I, can't, I, I was in a little disbelief that Tennessee didn't pull that out in regulation. I was surprised that game got to overtime. What happened to Tennessee? Because they've played about they've played well once in about a month now. I think it's a combination of they they looked like Rick Barnes' teams in in some capacity always look for whatever reason disorganized and out of sorts in like half court offense in the tournament, and I don't really know why that is because. I don't mean the the guy didn't get to the Sweet Sixteen with Kevin Durant, right? They got bounced in the round of thirty two. They did, so, but a little bit of that is is he's that sandwiched in between two elite eight years. Sure, but I I don't know. There are just times where they look lost, and you saw it against Iowa. Like the, I mean, that entire second half, they they looked like a completely different team, I and mean, they were throwing the ball away from like an A to A to B pass on the perimeter, and just like very basic things. It's kind of like, who is this, and like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so, I, it, and that happens to them for like seven, eight minute stretches, which in March can kill you. And they don't def- like they. I don't know if they were like they got so good at the beginning of the year they got bored, but they just got really complacent on defense a lot, and that that really hurt them, in my opinion. Do you buy into everybody? Look, makes a big deal of oh, there's not a top one hundred kid on this team. Do you buy into maybe they just weren't that talented at some spots? I don't know, man. They got a two time player of the year. No, do you know he's not a senior? He's not aware. Wait, what? Yeah, Grant Williams can come back. Oh, uh, I actually, I was not aware of that. I thought he was a senior. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on Twitter yesterday. I was like, how, how can he come back for his 18th year? Yeah, no, I, I actually, that, that completely went over my head. I had no idea. <laughs> I assumed he was gone. I assumed, wow. Because he okay, started so, from the day he got on campus. Yeah. So, Tough ending for Tennessee for a while. Although I do buy you asked if you if you if I asked they were not that talented. I mean that's part of it. I think it would be better phrased. Maybe they weren't as good as cracked up to be because when they got off to that start, they were not playing very good competition. I mean they went a no. month and a half without playing anyone really. Yeah, and had to go to overtime against Vandy. And then yeah, and then you saw like when their 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 SEC schedule was so backloaded, and when you saw the competition get steeper, and them kind of go through the SEC quote unquote meat grinder, they struggled and they looked very human. So it wasn't necessarily surprising. I think people got because they looked the way they play is like when they're cutting up bad teams, they look really good doing it. Yeah, and you know I, I watched them come to Oxford. I watched Kentucky come to Oxford. When I left. Uh, both games, I thought, you know, I didn't think Tennessee looked like a Final Four team. On the other hand, I thought Kentucky looked like a Final Four team, whereas both games were close. It just it, something about Tennessee for the past month and a half just didn't look right. So the late games was awful. Oregon really gives Virginia a scare. We kind of went through the Texas Tech Michigan game already. Texas Tech Chris Beard's done a hell of a job. I mean, if it, yeah. like you, if I think he's there next year. I think he probably leaves after another year or two. Well, I mean, okay, he's a Texas alum. If Shaka takes the Virginia Tech job, I would not be shocked. Maybe, but why? Okay, if you're Virginia Tech, why do you want Shaka Smart? I mean, that's that's a fair point. I mean, but I think I think it, he's still got like there's still some name recognition with Shaka Smart, and that's about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. He has not done much in Texas, to put it lightly. I mean, it's just it's it's insane to me because if you have one, I know it sounds stupid, but literally, if you have one 
Final Four run, you're set for a decade and a half. Like that, that's two more. If you have a Final Four run at a small school, that's two more jobs. <laughs> Which makes no sense because you got hot one two weeks in March. He so he he exactly he had the Final Four run. They won one game in the tournament each in the next two years, and he hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since. He hasn't won an NCAA tournament game in Texas. No, no, they huh. they. They they've been what twice? They went his second. They went his first year, and they went his two years ago, and they lost in the first round both times. He so for VCU they had the final four, then they went round to thirty two, round to thirty two, and his last NCAA tournament game he won was 2012-2013. That seems like a long time ago. Marshall well, point being, was still I, I don't the get that. So anyway, Chris Chris Beard's done a phenomenal job with. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it's Texas Tech. Like, that's not (laughs) – you're not talking about, like, you know, a bit official basketball job. And then, so, Oregon, Virginia. I mean, hats off to Oregon, honestly. They lose Bowl Bowl. They kind of have to reinvent the way they play a little bit. But the last, like, I would say four weeks of the season, like, like Oregon was not a 12 seed by any stretch. No, no, they're they're one of the better teams in the pack all year, and they get hot. They're probably the best team in the pack twelve the last month. Oh, absolutely. That well, they didn't lose for a month and a half. So yeah, like you said, I mean, is is a great job by Peyton Pritchard and uh, Louie, and I can't remember the kid's last name, um, and and Dana Altman. But Dana Virginia Altman was... looks like Herb Brooks from Miracle, and now you'll never be able to get that out of your head. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, every uh, time you look at him, you'll think of the hockey I've movie. Heard Buck's real cool, yeah. But here's what's crazy. Is I don't know if you have the box score up. Oregon shot like 50% from three in the second half. I ate like six of 12. Oregon scored 49 points. Like, they couldn't score unless they were hitting threes because Virginia just was not letting them get anything outside. And credit to them. They stayed in the game because they hit threes. But otherwise, it was good. it was a long night for them. Yeah, that pack line is so interesting because that's really so a lot of the way you got to get around is just take contested perimeter shots because it's so hard and so frustrating to get to the rim. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of thwarted Zion from getting to the rim for stretches of games. I mean, it works like it does. It, it serves its purpose. And man, it is. Uh... So that was kind of it for the Sweet 16 games. Overall impressions were probably I'll go in one sentence. Gonzaga, really good. Florida State off night. Oregon, nice run. Virginia, Virginia's going to be tough out. And then Purdue is probably playing as well. Like, I'll go Purdue and Auburn. They're probably the two teams play, like, like peaking at, at, I guess, they're peaking the most. I don't even know if that makes sense. But, like, so, those so two who, teams who, I'm not facing. Who do you have in the Final Four out of Gonzaga, Texas Tech, and then Virginia, Purdue? I'd still probably go Gonzaga, Virginia. But if Purdue, beat, uh, if Purdue beat Virginia, I'm not stunned in the slightest bit. I think I am because I think a lot of what Purdue can do, Virginia can take away. So tonight, I think, is the better slate of games. LSU, Michigan State, Auburn, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia Tech, Houston, Kentucky. We kind of previewed those on the last show. We won't bore you with that, but that's going to be fun stuff. I'm excited. Houston, Kentucky is going to be awesome, and Auburn, North Carolina is going to be awesome. And the other two are just going to kind of be like gravy. I agree that uh, Houston, Kentucky, from a matchup standpoint, should be awesome. I do wonder if Kelvin Sampson is already in Fayetteville. Mm, 
mean, I don't know, man. It's a Sweet 16 game, and he's got a team that he knows he can get to the Final Four with. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I just wonder if that has any distraction on him. Maybe he doesn't take the Arkansas job, but it sure feels that way. I don't know, man. I was. We had a guy. We had a. We had an Arkansas radio guy on the show yesterday, and his name eludes me. And he kind of reinforced what what from what he had heard from what I was talking about. Houston can like Houston with the with Tillman Fertitta and that whole crew, like they can, like they can fork up cash to keep him. And like I know you don't necessarily see that at most jobs at that level, but I think Houston's a different beast in that regard. But they, I mean, they're definitely committed. They just built that gigantic new facility, like. It's not. I mean, it's a way better job than you think, and I don't know why you're going to the SEC. Like, if I'm Kelvin Sampson, I'm looking at that and like, why am I going to the SEC? But maybe, maybe, maybe Houston doesn't counter. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what he's making at Houston, but I mean, if Arkansas doubles its salary, I don't know if Houston can match. I know Tillman Fertitta's got a lot of money. I don't know if he's got, you know, the uh, wherewithal to spend that much money to keep Sampson. Where, um, you know, Houston's made a made. A, made a good deal of hiring coaches so they probably would struggle to hire another one i wonder if you know, it, it just, helps when you're it helps when fertita's a billionaire yeah that doesn't hurt i uh I, I just wonder if our boy ak might have a shot out there if samson leaves it feels like he's he's destined for an aac job if you know like dawkins goes to vanderbilt which is the rumor or samson takes for uh arkansas yeah uab would make sense for ak too if that ever came open well yeah he almost took that uab job when he was at Ole miss yeah, so getting into some Ole Miss-centric stuff with the Ugh. time we got left. Big series for Ole Miss against Arkansas tonight. Uh, 8 p.m. first pitch. Thank God I'm not at that thing, honest to God. Cause <laughs> you, that, you couldn't get to Dixon Street before midnight. Yeah, my my goodness, that's that's a late one. So, I mean, it's a big series for Ole Miss. They, they've, they've, I mean, it, for, on the, we'll start with, I'll go in reverse order because on the back end, they're going to have to get something out of Gunnar Hoagland. Is the offense going to be consistent? They're getting a break catching three right handed starting pitchers, but they can't get swept there. No, no. And, and frankly, I think, I don't want to say anything less than two of three is, is less than ideal, but I think at some point, like, you have to make up a game. Like, you, you, you drop the game to Missouri, you've got to get it somewhere else. And and this weekend would constitute as an opportunity to take one, and, and so I think it's like you said, it's a good matchup for Ole Miss. They've got three right-handed pitchers. I think I thought I saw a TBA on Saturday. I might be incorrect there, um, but la- the past two weekends they've thrown three right-handers. So like you said, it's it's opportunity with uh you know that that they got a chance, and you don't want to get swept. But um, you know I think the goal going in has to be that that you need to win the series. Uh, Arkansas going right handy right hander Connor Nolan on Saturday. Okay, All right, backup quarterback Connor Nolan. He might actually be the starter quarterback this year. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a two sport guy. So they catch a break there. I mean, I, I just you're right at some point, but though, like these are the like at the beginning of the year when 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 most people thought Ole Miss was an elite level team. Like these are the kind of series. Like it's it's kind of crazy. You're 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 kind of walking in there and, and the mindset for Ole Miss is like, okay, let's try to get one. Yeah. I mean, that's not their mind. Like that's not the team's mindset, but you no. see what I'm saying? Like from an outsider's yeah. perspective, it's like, okay, can they get one to kind of avoid really sinking in a hole, which is crazy talking about the expectations placed on this team's back, you know, in, in February. Yeah. And, and, you know, I talked to somebody about this last night. Um, Obviously this season for Ole Miss has not started off the way they want to. 
That being said, um, LSU is four and three, and nobody is going to write LSU off. So th- th- there's still time for this team to figure it out and get where they where they need to be. Um, I think it probably starts this weekend. Look, uh, I think Ole Miss is a really good matchup for Arkansas because you know, I've dug into some Arkansas stats. They're not going to bash you all over the park. They're based kind of really around pitching so far in SEC play. And look, Ole Miss's offense, it's either going to come out of this or it's not. And, and if it comes out of it, I think this team can really play because the pitching in SEC play has been really good. That's that's kind of been an under, underrated aspect for the first six games. If this offense can get back to at least close to the level that they were last year, Ole Miss is going to be fine. But it kind of starts this weekend. So I think Chase Cockrell starts at least two of the games, depending on Elko's status, maybe all three. I mean, he's an important cog. We, we hit on this on Wednesday. He got going on his – or on Tuesday, he got going kind of on his birthday, three for five against Memphis. You know, take that with a grain of salt. It's an 11 and 12 Memphis team in the midweek. But he did put some better at-bats together. Like, he and Dillard have to get going for this lineup to kind of get out of the, the funk it can get into a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think Thomas is fine. I think, you know, he's started to put some better at-bats together. So, sure, I, I think Cockrell and Dillard have to uh, to play well for this offense to get what it needs. It'd probably help if they, you know, put together an efficient lineup with Ron Olenek hitting 430, not being in the five-hole. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always like a lot of construction definitely matters, but I think it matters less in a sport like college baseball with like 56 games. But I, I mean, I agree. It's a, it's it it matters. I'm just not sure how much, but I, I well, agree. I mean, there's I, no I think it does. If you want to argue that it doesn't matter if a guy hits two or three, I agree. I'm not really going to entertain like and I'm not saying this towards you. I'm just saying like there's a massive difference between someone hitting first and someone hitting fifth, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Ryan Olenek hitting fifth doesn't make a ton of sense, if we're being honest. But, yeah, I mean, but but top to bottom, like, like lineup construction woes aside, like, they've, they've got to get, to me, and it's become more and more evident over the last couple of weeks, They and we've talked about this before, they're missing the consistency of Will Golson and Nick Fortes. And I think that was undersold coming into the season because a lot of the guys in the lineup right now were – Somewhat, I mean, Dillard and Cockrell were, were were really productive hitters last year. I'm not trying to like take that away from them, but they they were a little bit streaky in their own right in some senses. And you don't have the stability that you had in Golson and Fortes, right? And you know you've got Olenek who's been consistent all year, but you don't have the the guy up there because look, last year you know I talked can't remember I talked about this with last year. Will Golson hit six on this team, but if there was a bases loaded two out situation in the bottom of the ninth and you were down one. You wanted Nick Fortes or Will Golson at the plate, and it really—I mean, there was yeah, one hundred percent. You don't. There wasn't really another option. I don't care. You know that Ryan Olenek was hitting four forty for much of the year last year. Those are the two guys that you wanted up, and you just there's not that guy on the team. You know, there's not a guy that you know you want up in that situation. I kind of think that's what they're missing, like you said. Yeah, and to kind of contrast it, it's like it's it with them two not in the lineup. Like when Gray Kessinger goes through a nine ten game stretch where he doesn't hit as much, or Anthony Servideo or Jacob Adams is struggling at the plate, or got or you know multiple of like multiple of them at a time, it's highlighted more because that presence isn't there. Yeah, and and because last year you could kind of mask some things with them because those guys didn't really slump, and uh, you know this year 
with with TD going and you know not having a great first two series, um, you know those slumps have been a little bit more evident, and it's, it's frankly costed Ole Miss some baseball games. Yeah, and so I mean, if they if they they need like if their best path to this is obvious. I don't even know what I'm getting at here, but my point being is they would do really well if they get another dominant outing from Weathers to take advantage of that tonight on the road. Yeah, I mean, to the, win a three-one ball game or something, something of that nature. The issue I mean, is Isaiah Campbell's been so good for Arkansas on Friday nights. Like his his he hasn't given up a run in two SEC starts. He's got a .33 whip. I mean, he's striking out like 12 per nine in SEC play. I mean, he's really good. Ole Miss has their hands full. I know he's right-handed, but Ole Miss has their hands full tonight. So, like you said, Will Etheridge is going to have to be dominant um, for Ole Miss to come out of there with victory tonight. Yeah, and the way I look at it is is you don't really know what you're getting on Sunday. So, if you lose on Friday, that's putting a great deal of pressure on Doug McKenzie, which I think he can handle it, and I think he's – you know, he's been good against really good competition, but man, if you're going in there on Saturday after losing on Friday thinking this is the best chance to steal a game, that's a hell of a position to be in. I was talking about this to uh, someone yesterday, and, and Mike will never do it because, you know, love him or hate him, Mike's Mike, he's going to stay in his own way. Do you think about switching up Etheridge and Nikhazy, not from the standpoint of, you know, Nikhazy's better than Etheridge, but that the Saturday game is so important, you're either trying to stay alive in you st- you're still alive in a series. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. Like, you're going to throw Etheridge against probably an inferior opponent, and it gives you a chance to either win a series or get back one one, and and it's the same situation on Sunday, regardless. Yeah, because it seems to me like it seems to me like because you can win a Friday night game in this league with Doug Casey given what he's Absolutely. given so far. I don't know how many, but but it seems like if you're if like if Etheridge is going to be that consistent and give you that, you get more value out of his start with the Saturday start. That's that's kind of my thing is you put him on Saturday against probably an inferior opponent. You're probably going to win that most times. Most times, if you put Will Etheridge on Saturday, the worst you're going to be after or after two games is one and one. Um, again, Mike's never going to do that because yeah, I mean he's he's his Friday night guy, just like Ryan Olenek is his center fielder, just like Greg Kessinger has been his leadoff hitter predominantly for the last two years. Just kind of it is what it is, I guess <laughs> yeah, is, is the proper phrase. So. I don't know. We'll get into that more, I guess, on Sunday. It's an important series for this team, though, and I think – I'm not saying this team's lacking for confidence, but it would do well for them to have, a like, something go their way against yeah. a good opponent to kind of that, get them just go I – mean, if there's ever a proverbial spark, like, this team kind of needs one. Yeah, and they play well in Fayetteville. Give, give Ole Miss that. They are a they, – they play really, really well in Fayetteville. I think they've won – five of their last six series down there. I don't put a ton into that because it's different kids, obviously. But, I mean, there is something to it where you – you know, this team wasn't very good in 2017 when Arkansas was a national seed. They went into Fayetteville and won a series. So And beat I'm the sure. hell out of them. I was at that series. Yeah, that was James MacArthur's career, like the game of his life on Friday night. Then you had a doubleheader – or Thursday – because it was a Thursday, Friday, yeah, Thursday night, doubleheader. Friday doubleheader yeah. And so that was the – James MacArthur had the night of his life – they killed them in the second game, and then it was like up five one in the in the third game and blew it. But that was a big series win for that team at the time that didn't turn out to be very good. But they were they were really struggling, and that was that was a huge series win for them. Yeah, and and so they've got a little bit of confidence going down there. A lot of those kids, you know, they almost played a lot of freshmen, so they're not going to be intimidated by the environment, which I think is huge. Um, so I, I, I'm not look if Ole Miss gets out of this weekend five and four, I'm not completely shocked. 
I'd be pretty surprised, but I, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's it's SEC baseball, so like completely shocked about that kind of result. Of course not, because I mean, league's tough, league's hard, a lot of good teams. But yeah, I mean, they they two two games for Ole Miss this weekend cures a lot of woes. One, and it's kind of okay. I mean, one, you're still just kind of plugging along, trying to trying to tread water, and and you. <laughs> They get swept and it's back to the drawing board. Oof, they get swept. And can you imagine message boards this weekend? Oh my gosh. I, think, I don't I, think, I don't think they're going to get swept. I don't, I don't either. I, I think they'll have I think they're gonna at least win one. I think they'll have. I, I really do. They're playing a little bit better. Offense is trending in a better direction. I, I think they'll have a chance to get two. I'm not sure they do it, but I, I think they'll play a, two really close ball games. I think what the, the goal for Ole Miss has to be if you want to get back to talking about what you did before the season and hosting regionals and being a national seed and that type of thing, and frankly, I'll be honest, I don't think this team's good enough for that right now. Um, I think the talent's there, though. So if you want to talk about a numbers perspective, they're three and three right now. You want to be nine and six after Kentucky leaves town. So however you get to that number is, is how you get to that number. But I think that kind of has to be the goal um, you know, going forward over these next three series. Yeah, and so um, – Moving on from that, kind of last thing we had was some spring football notes. I went to availability yesterday. Uh, one of the things I found interesting, Tylen Knight, they had a – he said somebody got hurt. I'm assuming that's just kind of a minor injury. They're trying to get through spring. He didn't say who it was. But he's playing the slot now. So he's kind of become like a scat back type deal for them. And I think that – I don't know. I found that to be interesting because that kid has a great deal of speed. And in like a – like I don't know how he – fits in Rich Rod's run-oriented scheme, but he seems like a kid that Rodriguez could do a lot with. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing uh, with Rich Rod is he gets the ball to a lot of different people in a lot of different positions in a lot of different ways. Um, so I don't think, you know, Tyler Knight playing the slot necessarily, you know, uh, ends his ability to carry the football. So No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So, you know, going forward, you know, the kid's got a great deal of speed, like you said, uh, is a small kid. So I don't know if he could really run in between the tackles every day, every down back in SEC play. So, you know, it's probably not a bad move to put him out there at the slot. No. And then he he got he got asked. He's like, so somebody somebody asked you what position do you play? Like, what do you tell him? He's just like athlete. I was like, honestly, for a kid that's played two places on defense and now two places on offense in the last, like, five months, that's about as good of an answer as you can give. Is that like um, how uh, David Ortiz plays hitter? Yes, David Ortiz is a hitter. <laughs> and so, it, yeah, I mean, and then uh, I mean, we talked to a couple offensive linemen. Uh, they're just kind of trying to – they have a lot of guys playing a lot of different positions, and it's going to be tough for them because they lose a lot of veteran presence on that offensive line. But I actually – think this spring is really going to be good for them because it's going to force like therefore everyone essentially on that offensive line aside from probably givens is playing multiple positions and i think that'll help them for when they get the seven new kids in in the um in the fall um do we ever so figure out who's offensive playing left tackle? Really, what we ever figure out who's playing left tackle they Got about three or four guys playing it right now, so <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't think they've figured that out yet. Okay, uh, fair enough. So I don't know. I mean, there's some. The thing is, is they lost a lot of pieces, but you still got given. I mean, they've got some guys that have been around. On Royce Newman, and, um, you know. So, gonna look it's probably not gonna be pro- like 
it'll be suboptimal. That's the best way I could describe it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, going forward, uh, obviously with the Grove Bowls next weekend, so probably, you know, 10 practices in. So, you know, uh, I, I think they've probably got installed what they kind of want to get installed this spring. There's obviously some more that they'll have to do. Uh, going forward, it's going to be going to be interesting to see how they handle it from from a Grove Bowl perspective. You know, obviously, Matt. Kraft, the Grove Bowl is next weekend. Next weekend. Um, Ooh, that came up quick. Time. Yeah, well, who's going to be the number two quarterback? Like, you know, obviously, Crowell's on one team. Who's the quarterback on the other team? I don't know. I haven't been out there enough because it's it's been tough with baseball and everything else and hoops going on. I haven't been out to practice enough. I've barely gotten to the availabilities on on time to be able to get to him. So I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I think you'll, I think they're still probably trying to figure that out too. Cause there's so much, I mean, Kincaid Dent, probably not the number two next year, but like he's, he, he's in early. Is he on they campus got, yet? Yeah, he is on campus. Um, okay. So I don't know. They got a couple kids in there. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of, that kind of, sh- cause I mean, is it Tisdale? Do you think it's Tisdale as a freshman? No, I think it's, I think it's either Plumley or Dent as the uh, backup quarterback next year. You think why? Okay, why? Why one of them two over Tisdale? Well, I think, frankly, I think Dent being on campus earlier makes him uh, makes him more viable of an option than Plumley. And I think the the reason I would say Plumley over uh, Tisdale right now is just because I think Plumley is a little bit more athletic. And in a situation where guys are going to be limited in, in kind of what they know how to do, you probably take the better athlete and put him back there than you than, and, and run it that type way. Yeah, that's fair. And so then the, the really one of the last guys we talked to was uh, Kadir Shepard, who is the most electric interview on the team. Um, <laughs> he was uh, he was relatively buttoned up, though, this this time. He's made the move to kind of that defensive. He's one of those defensive end that's kind of made the move to the outside linebacker. He said he's more comfortable there. That's what he's played in high school. He they, See, I, I know it's like coach speaking. All these kids are, are kind of trained to not give much. But the, the sense I get is a lot of these kids like – what they're running defensively with Mike McIntyre and seem to be kind of in a better place or frame of mind with it that, than a year ago. So I'm not sure how much better the defense will be next year, but it will look different, and I think they will be more screwed down. They'll probably get lined up correctly, so that will probably help. Eyes in the right place fits uh, <laughs> whatever the buzzwords you want to use. I oh, agree. God. But it really was. I mean, you're, you're 9, 10, 11 games into the year last year. You still got guys getting lined up wrong, substitution gone. Like, it, it was just – it was a mess. And I know there wasn't a ton of talent on that defense, and I'm not sure how much there has been really injected into the program yet. I think they're a little better at linebacker. Um, I think they're a little better in the secondary, and I think they've got some interesting defensive line pieces. But point being is they're they're going to play hard, and I think they're they're, they're I'll say they'll be better just because they'll be better coached. I mean, they're going to be. I don't know how much of a tangible improvement you'll see, but it'll be somewhat better because they're better coached. I mean, it has to be right. Like, it, I mean, it's, it's a low bar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you got you know. A guy trying to cover Jerry Judy from the line of scrimmage acting like he was going to blitz last year and, you know, it goes for a 65-yard touchdown. I, I don't think it can get much worse from a uh, schematic or standpoint. Let- throwing defensive ends and coverages on running backs out of the backfield, that was always a fun one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was it was not great from a uh, strategy and schematic standpoint last year, um, to put it lightly. Like you said, this defense was not overly talented, but it was not as bad as, as it looked. So – 
That's about all we have for this Friday show. I am about to dart off to Pro Day. It'll be kind of interesting to see some of these guys. Obviously, Pro Day is more meant for the guys trying to kind of like it's more for the day two, day three guys. Like Zedrick Woods running that absurd time in the at the combine makes his pro day like important for him, don't you think? I mean, the the, the top guys have shown what they're going to show. Yeah, I don't I don't think AJ or Little or uh, you know I don't even know is DK even there? Um, I don't. I got the participant list yesterday. I I, I think so, but I'm not sure what he'll do. Okay. I just didn't. I don't know if there's really a purpose for him being there. He kind of is what he is at this point. Probably a top ten pick. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, the, those guys this is kind of for the Zedrick Woods of the world, maybe the Jordan Thomas of the world, um, to, to, you know, maybe slide into a late round draft slot and, and to wind yeah, up on a roster that way. We had an in-house reporter for the Houston Texans come on our show the other day and he's a big draft guy and he's really smart with coming to inside. He goes, he said a late day three selection for Jordan Tamu to the Chargers sitting behind Phil Rivers would be a really interesting fit. And the more and more I thought about it, I kind of agreed. That's not a bad place for him at all. And look, Jordan's got tools now. He he throws a really good deep got ball. Got some arm talent. Now, and unfortunately for Jordan, they didn't throw the ball over the middle of the field because Ole Miss didn't have routes that went over the middle of the field. So he'll have to learn how he to do that. He could have stopped at routes. <laughs> Ole Miss ran nods. That's what they ran. They ran nods. Um, and Jordan threw the nod really well. So, but uh, yeah, that would that wouldn't be a bad spot for him at all. I wouldn't be shocked at all if uh, Tom is a late round selection for somebody for sure. So I'll be at Pro Day. We'll have coverage up on the website supertalk.fm. Probably some videos, some reaction. We'll get some interviews afterward. We'll what do you be think back. Nick Brazel will run? Uh, Nick, <laughs> Nick Brazel coming back for his pro day. I uh, I fully expect to see his name on the list when I get there. God will just never for, die. God bless Nick. He came for like four years. I know it. Uh, so anyway, we'll be back on Monday. We'll have a baseball recap. Um, kind of if anything popped at pro day, really some other stuff from the weekend. We'll know the final four teams should be a fun show. We appreciate y'all joining us on a Friday. Y'all have a great weekend. A super talk, Mississippi media production.